Last week we noticed uh, Hebrews 2, verses 10 to 18, an emphasis upon Jesus as our brother. And we'll get into some more um, interesting teachings about our Lord from Hebrews 3. Our main focus this evening will be Hebrews 3 and verses 1 through 6. Hebrews 3 and uh, 1 through 6. As you've uh, likely heard uh, many times, uh, the book of Hebrews is um, based on the idea of the superiority of Christ. Superiority of Christ. And the writer um, is making the big point that um, the covenant of Jesus, the New Testament, is superior to the old covenant of Moses. Why? Well, because um, Christians who had a Jewish background were being pressured to uh, go back to the old system, to uh, either go back to it or add elements of it uh, to the gospel of Jesus. And that was very dangerous, very, very dangerous and very uncalled for and just not right. And so the Hebrew, Hebrew writer is using various uh, means various teachings to encourage them uh, simply not to do that. Uh, a very broad outline um, of the book of Hebrews would be uh, the superiority of Christ over angels, Hebrews 1 and 2, chapters 1 and 2, uh, superiority of Christ over angels. And then uh, Hebrews 3 and 4, superiority of Christ over uh, Moses. And then uh, Hebrews 5, chapters 5 through 10, uh, the superiority of Christ over uh, the high priest, over a former high priest. Jesus is recognized in Hebrews 4, uh, 14 as the great high priest, the great high priest. A major thrust of the book of Hebrews is Jesus, our great high priest, and I myself personally, I need to do a greater and more in-depth study of that idea. It's very fascinating. And then the rest of the book of Hebrews, uh, chapters uh, 11 and 12 in particular, are very uh, encouraging uh, elements, uh, examples of faith, and other encouraging teachings to help people continue uh, the Christian way. And so we'll focus our attention Hebrews 3. Verses 1 through 6, we are going to be uh, focusing on that theme, the superiority of Jesus, and why uh, and how Hebrews 3 brings that out. Okay? Two major ideals. Uh, Jesus is superior because of what he can make of us. That'll be our first ideal. And then, secondly, uh, Jesus is superior because of who he is who he is. And you'll see this unfold as we um, get into our lesson. So let's begin under this first heading of, of Jesus being great because of what he is able to do with us. And for those of us who follow him as Christians, what he has made of us, what he is making of us, but also extending to the world what he is able to make of any individual who is willing to humble himself before the Lord. So notice first here, he can make us holy brethren. He's made us holy brethren. 
Notice that in verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, uh, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. And so he, he has made us holy brethren. Notice the last word there, brethren. That word uh, basically means coming from the same womb. Coming from the same womb. Uh, it refers to fleshly brothers and also uh, spiritual uh, brothers and sisters. Uh, for example, in Acts chapter uh, 12 and verse 2, James, the brother of John, uh, is killed by Herod, slain. And so, but they were fleshly brothers. But um, most of the time, the, the word is used in reference to being spiritual brothers. Okay? Uh, so those of us who are Christians, we have the same new birth experience. We have, the new, we have the same new birth experience. The very thing that Jesus refers to, to Nicodemus in John 3, 3 through 5, whoever is born of water and the Spirit will enter into the kingdom of God. Of heaven, or as Paul mentions it in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Or in another place, Paul mentions it in Ephesians 5 and 26 when he says that the church, the brethren in the church, are, are made, uh, are sanctified, and um, this happens to them by water and the word, by washing of the water. And the word. And so uh, he says, You are holy brethren. You are brethren first of all. Okay. But not just brethren, but holy brethren. Holy brethren. God intends to set us apart uh, from the rest of the world. And Jesus says in Matthew 5 and verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, uh, for they shall see God. It is through that purity of heart which then unfolds into a pure life, that God sets us apart for Himself. If we follow God's will, we will be brethren, and we will be holy brethren. Holy brethren. Notice in your Bibles, turn over to Hebrews 12, and notice this emphasis as well. Hebrews 12. In verse uh, 14, follow peace or strive for peace uh, with all men and strive for holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And notice how that is similar to what Jesus says in Matthew 5 8. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Without peace, without striving for peace and without holiness, then we just cannot see the Lord. That is, we cannot be able to follow Him and walk with Him or be able to go to, go to heaven. In 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 7, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 7, uh, Scripture says, God has not called us unto fornication or to uncleanness, but rather He has called us to be sanctified and holy in His sight. And so, it is not Moses who is able to make us holy brethren. It is only the Lord Jesus who is able to make us have this relationship. And so Jesus is superior because He can take any of us, and it's amazing really, He can, he can take any of us and make us holy 
uh, brethren. Okay. But as you see here in verse 1 also, Jesus is able to make us partakers of the heavenly calling. So notice how uh, the apostle here is describing Christians. First, as holy brethren, and then secondly, as partakers of the heavenly calling. Now focus on the calling. Now, this is not new to us, but it's very good for us to review. Calling. This is a, um, a way or a manner in which the New Testament explains uh, how, or, or at least the process in which we become Christians and the process in which we maintain our faith. Calling. Calling. So I want to notice uh, five things about this calling with you. Okay. Five things. Uh, first, of course, the call comes from God. Notice it's a heavenly calling. It's a heavenly calling. Now compare that. Um, I'm going to flip back to Acts 2 and notice uh, Peter's words uh, to uh, the folks at Pentecost, Acts 2 and 39. Uh, For the promise is unto you, he says, as he offers them the invitation of Christ. The promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The Lord calls. And so this calling, this heavenly calling, comes from God, of course. The second fact about this calling is it comes through the gospel. And this is Paul's remark in 2 Thessalonians 2 and 14. It comes through the gospel. God calls us through the gospel. It's still a call. It's still a powerful call. It just comes through the gospel. This makes great sense because Paul says in Romans 1.16 uh, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. A third thing about this calling is it's got to be received in a humble way. It's got to be received in a humble way. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1. And notice the humble characteristic of this calling. 1 Corinthians 1, I want to look down to about verse 26, I think. Yeah. Um, 1 Corinthians 1 and 26, beginning. 1 Corinthians 1 and 26. Paul says, For you see your calling, brethren, you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty after the flesh, not many noble are called. Why? Why? Because for not for every rich man, not for every noble man, not for every mighty man, but it is difficult to put away pride and to see one's need for Christ when you have so much of this world's goods and so much of this world's popularity And so he says, not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Verse 27, he says, God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of this world and things which are despised has God chosen, yea, things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. You see... That's the idea. To receive this calling, we, we've got to be humble. A willing to learn attitude. And so the calling is from God. The calling comes through the gospel. The calling 
has to be received. It's impossible to receive it except that you have a humble heart. And then turn to Ephesians 4 and notice that number 4 in regard to this calling. The design of the calling is to make us like Christ. The design of the calling is for us to live a Christ-like life. So reading from Ephesians 4, picking this up in Ephesians 4, 1 and 2... Once again, the apostle says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, notice how close that is related to chapter 5, Ephesians 5, and beginning in verse 1. He says, uh, Ephesians 5 verse 1, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also loved us, and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling uh, savor. And so this calling has as its design uh, for us to become more like Christ. As he gave himself up for us, we take on the same type of characteristics as uh, he had has uh, in his life. So the calling is from God. It comes through the gospel. It's to be received humbly. And um, its design is to make us like Christ. And then right there in Ephesians 4 verse 4, notice number 5 about this calling. And you remember this statement for sure. There is one body and one spirit. Even as you are called and one hope of your calling. So the calling is associated with that one hope. And so our, our destination or our hope of the calling is heaven itself. In other words, if we, if we listen to the calling through the gospel with a humble heart, we become more Christ-like as we keep paying attention to the gospel throughout our lives. And then finally the Lord will take us home to be with Him. That's our one hope of our calling. And so Jesus, going back to Hebrews 3 now, Jesus is absolutely superior because of what he is able to make of us. And the more we examine ourselves, the more thrilled we are at what he is able to do with us. Now notice here he says, we are partakers of this calling. A good word um, to associate with partaking is the word partner. In fact, if you look at Luke 5 and verse 7, that same word is translated partner there in regard to uh, Jesus helping the disciples uh, on one of those occasions in which he helped them to catch a great, huge, among us multitude of fish. And so the fish came into the net and one boat began to sink. So they called their partners, called their partners to help them get the load of fish uh, to the shore. And so that's the idea of this. We are partners in this heavenly calling. God has made us holy brethren. He has called us with the gospel and he makes us partners or those who share in the heavenly calling. So it puts us in a relationship, a special relationship with God, but at the same time it puts us in a relationship, special relationship with each other. 
Look what Christ can make of us. Why would anybody want to return to the old way, the old covenant, when you have a view of what Jesus can do with our sins and what he can make out of our character and what he can develop uh, in local churches and among the brethren. Okay. And so the first heading here I wanted to share with you was uh, what Jesus can do uh, with us. But the second heading is uh, who Christ is. That's, that, of course, is, is the main idea here. Who is Christ? Last week, we noticed that we don't often refer, even though it's very good to do so, we don't often refer to Jesus as our brother. But in Hebrews 2, verses 10 to 18, that brought out two or three times. Jesus is our, our brother. Well, notice another description of Jesus here in Hebrews 3 and verse 1. Jesus is the apostle. Jesus is the apostle. Now, Jesus had 12 apostles. Okay. And we talk about them quite a bit, but what about Jesus being the apostle? Notice how he's described. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, that is, uh, Christ Jesus. So, in your studies, what does the word apostle mean? Yeah. The basic idea of apostle is one who has been sent. And that's why Jesus' disciples were chosen as apostles because they had a special sending that they received uh, from Christ. What, it, what sense then is Jesus uh, sent or an apostle? Why? All right. Am I saying uh, Jesus was sent to earth uh, to save mankind? And Jesus often referred to himself as one who had been sent. Okay. So it would be worth our, our couple, two or three minutes here to, to notice a couple of verses along that way. Let's look at um, Luke chapter 4. Let's jump back to Luke chapter 4. Jesus is about to leave the area of Capernaum, Galilee, Nazareth. Some didn't appreciate what he had to say, but many cling to him. Notice uh, Luke uh, 4 and 42. Some wanted him to stay and not depart from them, but Jesus said in Luke 40, 4 43. Chapter 4.43, he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. Therefore I am sent. Okay. Now flip over to um, John, the Gospel of John. Let's look at a couple places there. John chapter 4, Jesus speaking to the woman of Samaria. He explains to his disciples who were wondering um, about Jesus talking to this woman. And 
They asked Jesus in John 4 and 31, Master, uh, you need to eat. And Jesus said, I've got, I've got food you don't know about. And the disciples uh, pondered among themselves, Has any man brought him something to eat? Well, John 4.34, Jesus said, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me. Jesus says, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work. So Jesus had an incredible focus about, uh, about what He was doing. Notice in John 3.16 and 17, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then John three seventeen, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. God sent uh, His Son. And you can multiply these types of references throughout, especially the Gospel of John, and I encourage you uh, to, to do this. Uh, one other I want to, well, a couple others I want to mention to you. John 17 and Jesus' prayer. John 17 is Jesus' prays. John 17, verse 3. He says, uh, This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Whom thou hast sent. And that leads us down to Jesus' statement here. In John 21, nope, 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 nope. John chapter 20, verse 21. John chapter 20, verse 21. Then Jesus to them again said, Peace be unto you, as my Father sent me, even so I send you. And that sums up a lot about what Jesus came to do with His disciples. And it sums up a lot about what He wants to do with us. Are we sent also? We are. Just as Nathan was praying a little bit ago, about looking for opportunities and asking the Lord to send us opportunities, send us somebody, bring us somebody, Lord, and help us to be looking for people. We are sent in this world. We are, we are here for this very purpose of sharing the gospel. The, the mission of Jesus is our mission. Luke 19, verse 10, uh, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That is our mission. So the apostle... Jesus was sent with a mission to seek and save the lost. Or as he says in John 10, verse 10, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And so that same mission is to be taken up by us as well as the Great Commission explains and so forth. And so Jesus is the apostle, the apostle. But also he's referred to in Hebrews 3, in verse 1, as the high priest. The high priest. And so jump back there and notice that. And then let your eyes go down to chapter 4, Hebrews, verse 14. 
Notice how that he's referred to as the great high priest. Hebrews 4.14 Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Let us hold fast our confession. See? Now, as I said a moment ago, there's a whole huge, in fact, a lot of people just simply say Hebrews is carries the theme of Jesus the high priest, and it really does. Several chapters, the majority of the chapters talk talks about Jesus as the high priest. Okay. One thing that's mentioned here in Hebrews 3, if you'll notice in verse 2, Jesus is faithful to him that appointed him. Jesus is appointed as high priest. Okay. This is a little bit different than Old Testament high priest in that uh, the Old Testament high priest became that because of a fleshly association from family lineage. But Jesus was appointed. Jesus was of the tribe of Judah. Much like, uh, later he's compared to Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a priest and king as well. We, we run into Melchizedek back in Genesis 14. But he was a priest and king. But not from his family lineage, but he was appointed by God. And so Jesus is the high priest and he's appointed by God. Alright? And so we could talk a long time about Jesus the high priest. And look, notice this. Hebrews chapter 7. Verse 26 and 27. Just, just to give you a, a, a taste of things that are said. Hebrews seven twenty six and 27. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needed not daily as those high priests who offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. But this he did once. This he did once when he offered himself. And then you could add several references there, Hebrews 9, 11 through 14, and so forth. But notice that Jesus is superior, especially to Moses, because he is the apostle, the one sent. But he also is the great high priest. Now, as the apostle, Jesus came and represented God to man. He came and explained God to man as he was sent to this earth. Now, at the right hand of God, as our great high priest, he's now representing man to God. He makes intercession for us. He's he's there as the son of man. He's son of God and son of man. Hebrews Hebrews uh, 4.15 says, We have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but one who is in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He is able to know perfectly the situation on earth and the temptations of man, but at the same time, he is able to relate perfectly to the Father in heaven. So coming to earth, he represented God to man. Going back to heaven, he represents man uh, to God. He is the apostle and he is the high priest. Now, the verse here in verse 1 says, Consider the apostle and high priest. Consider is not a weak word. It means to fully understand. It means to take time to get to know your Lord. Okay. 
This is a lot more than just a simple uh, quick glance at Jesus or a yearly observation or a, a yearly thought about him or an occasional thought about Jesus okay? or a one-time experience uh, with the Lord. I can't tell you the number of, of guys I used to talk to in high school and we would start talking religion and they would say, oh, I took care of that years ago. I took care of that when I was 10. I took care of that when I was 9. But you couldn't tell it by, by their speech. You couldn't tell it by their, by their life, uh, by their lives they were living. It's, it's not just an occasional ideal to, to, you know, to have a spiritual thought. This, Jesus is Lord. Consider Him. Consider the Apostle and High Priest of your confession. Because He is he's to be your Lord. So notice that, consider Him. And then, of course, notice confession there. Uh, the King James has profession, carries the idea of, of the great confession the, that we make as we become a Christian. It, it, it basically represents our commitment to Christ. Okay. So consider, get to know your Lord, the Apostle and the Great High Priest, and remember that you made the good confession. You accepted uh, everything that he claimed for himself and everything that God has said about him when we make the good confession, we, we accept all of that. And once we are ready to make that, that confession, then we're ready to go into the watery grave of baptism. But not until then. Until we are at the point where we are willing to receive everything that goes along with Christ, uh, we're not ready to be baptized. Okay. Alright. So notice that he is, first of all, the apostle, he's secondly, he's uh, the great high priest. Notice, going into Hebrews 3 now, in verse 2, I, I would say that number 3, he's the faithful one. He's the faithful one. Because it says here that Jesus was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in his house. That is, Jesus was perfectly faithful. He was faithful to the point of perfection, which nobody else uh, can claim. One time Jesus remarked in John 8 and 29, I always do those things which are pleasing in, in the Father's sight. He's the only one that could ever make that claim. John 8 and, and 29. So Jesus is, is um, he's faithful and perfectly so. Why would somebody want to run back uh, to the old ways when the one uh, that was spoken of and that was signified and that was previewed back in those old days is now here among you. He has come and done his work. Why would you want to go back uh, to that old system? But notice Jesus is the apostle. He's the high priest. He's the faithful one. And as, he is, as it's explained here, being that faithful one, notice verse 3. This man was counted more worthy worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who builds the house has more honor than the house. This is not trying to, to put down Moses. This is just simply saying there's no one like the Lord. You know, there's no one like the Lord. He gets the full honor. Again, notice the superiority of Christ and His Word. Okay, notice the words there in verse number 3. Who gets the honor? 
the house that's standing there or the one who builds the house? Of course, the builder of that house. So in just that way, look where that puts Moses and look where that puts Christ. He is indeed uh, the faithful one. Now, the next thing about Christ here is he is the creator. He's the creator. Notice in Hebrews 3 and verse 4, the writer adds this statement, For every house is built by somebody, some man, but he that built all things is God. Now, we refer to this oftentimes as the, the uh, cause and effect argument, which is, of course, the very thing the writer is bringing out, one of the things he's bringing out. Every effect must have an adequate cause. Uh, all things are here. The universe is here. What is the adequate, adequate cause of everything that is here? Whatever that cause is, has got to be greater than the effect. It's got to be someone all-powerful and someone totally intelligent. And if someone will, with an open mind, consider uh, God and the God of the Bible, then they will come to uh, that faith. Okay? And so it's, it's, it's a very powerful argument for the existence of God. But he's on the subject of Jesus here still. All right. And he, the book of Hebrews brings out the fact that Jesus is the creator of all things himself. Go back to Hebrews 1. In verse 3, Jesus is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. And Jesus is upholding all things by the word of his power. See that? Now notice Hebrews 1 In verse 10, Hebrews 1 and verse 10. Thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. Talking about Jesus, the one being exalted here in Hebrews 1, the one who is superior to the angels. Which of the angels would be able to say that he with his hands has laid the foundations of the earth and the works of his hands? Uh, No one else could be... Moses couldn't say that. The angels couldn't say that. But Jesus uh, could say that. He that built all things is God. Since Jesus is part of that building of all things, then indeed He is God uh, Himself. He's the Son of God. Alright. So notice here in Hebrews 3, Jesus is called the Apostle. He's called the High Priest. He's referred to as the perfectly uh, faithful one and he's referred to here at least implied that he is the creator of all things. Let's notice verses 5 and 6 together. Moses uh, verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of the things which should which were to be spoken afterwards but Christ as a son over his own house whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. The very powerful words there. Jesus is not only the faithful one and the creator, but he's also the son of God. Now Moses, I guess Moses was the second favorite person maybe of the, uh, of the Jews in Jesus' day. They, of course, Abraham was known as the father of the faithful uh, but they, ve- they revered Moses as well. And Moses was faithful. Okay. 
And he had weaknesses, of course, like all of us do and human beings do, but he was faithful. All right. Let's notice one particular uh, statement made about Moses. Uh, well, let's, let's notice Numbers chapter 12. Uh, running back uh, in your Bible, which you're good at doing, running all over the place. Uh, but we have to do this in order to let the Bible explain itself. All right. We want to keep ourselves out of the picture and just let God's Word explain to us what He has in mind. So uh, Numbers uh, 12, notice what's said about Moses there. Verse 3. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which are upon the face of the earth. Now notice in verse 5, Numbers 12, beginning in verse 5. The Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called out to Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. And the Lord said to Aaron and Miriam, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, or I will speak unto him in a dream. Now notice this, Numbers 12, verse 7. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? In other words, Aaron and Miriam were having a spell of rebellion there, and the Lord was letting them know Moses is the faithful one. I speak to him mouth to mouth. I speak to him face to face. He is my spokesman and they need to get back uh, in line. Now, the people of, of Paul's day, the people of that, that the book of Hebrews is being written to, they were to get from this, look, instead of running back and trying to live under the law of Moses, you need to be faithful in your time like Moses was faithful in his time. You need to learn to be meek and humble like Moses. Okay. You need to overcome your weaknesses like Moses and grow in your faith and be more faithful like him. And that would be our urging to the world as well. The covenant of Jesus is superior to Moses and instead of running back then, let's learn from those Old Testament examples. Let's learn from Moses. Let's learn from Abraham. Let's learn from Joseph. Let's learn from Noah. Let's learn from all, all the Old Testament examples and let's live faithfully from that under the New Covenant uh, system. So Moses was faithful as a servant in God's house, but Jesus is faithful as the Son, as a Son, over God's house. Big difference there. Big difference. The Lord there is Jesus, so Moses was faithful to, to the Lord, to the Lord Jesus, okay? Alright, now, you know that the book of Hebrews begins how that God has spoken unto the fathers in different ways, but now at the, these, at the end of these days, in these last days, He speaks unto us through His Son, 
Jesus, of course, is that son. And he is over the house of God because he's built the house of God. He's built that house. You have, um, you know, studied these ideas before. The house of God is the church of the living God, 1 Timothy 3, 15. And just to give you some other references about Christ's house, uh, you can look at Ephesians 2, 21, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 3 and verse 16, 1 Peter 2 and verse 5. Jesus now has built the church. It's interesting that Matthew 16, when Jesus is having this discussion with Peter, he said, who do you say that I am? Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. All right. Upon this, Peter, I'm going to build my church. Notice in Hebrews 3 and verse 6, Jesus is the Son who is over the house. And we know this house uh, has reference at least uh, to the, the church of our Lord that he built. Okay. We're about out of time here, but we're, we're pressing on. I want to get through verse 6. It says, whose house we are. How do we become part of that house? Well, go back to our verse 1 here. We became brethren. How do we become brethren? Through the new birth process, through water and the Spirit, which puts us in contact with the blood of Jesus, we become holy brethren, partakers of that heavenly calling. Okay. We made the confession. We made a commitment to Christ. Therefore, we are His house. We are His house. But then there's the word. Does your Bible have after that the word if? In verse 6, do you have the word if? Yeah. If we hold fast, what? Yeah. If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, King James says, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Doesn't that at least tell us that um, we can lose our salvation? Yeah. These Christians in the area of Jerusalem here, now they've been, they've been Christians for a while, but receiving a lot of pressure to go back to the old ways, be careful, he's saying. You've got to hold fast your faith Hold fast your confidence all the way to the end. To the end. That's, that again is a, is a big ideal here in Hebrews. For example, look in Hebrews 3 and verse 14. Uh, is that right? Let's see. Yeah. We are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Unto the end. Be careful. Be careful. Our confidence does not come from ourselves, but from the fact that Jesus is our high priest. He has shed His blood for us. 
fact that Jesus is our apostle. And he has commissioned us. That's where we get our confidence. Not from ourselves. And then, notice the constant ideal here as we've been reading through, the greater and the lesser. The house is not as great as the builder. Moses is not as great as Jesus. Why would someone want to go from the greater to the lesser? And this is the kind of emphasis that's made again and again in the book of Hebrews. You can't miss the point. And it's needed for our day as well. Why do people go from the greater to the lesser? Why do people go from listening to God to listening to man? Why do people go to uh, living for the material things and not for the spiritual things? And why, why would somebody want to spend their life and base their life on the Old Testament law when the greater now is here? In fact, the old pointed to the greater. And so one of the habits of our world is we, we see it all around us. We're just running from the, from the greater to the lesser. Well, you can see here that Jesus is superior because of what he can do with us. But we've got to hold fast our original confidence to the end. And then he's great because of who he is. He's our apostle. He's our high priest. He's our example, the faithful one. He's our creator. He is the son who built the house and we are his house. So that's the idea. And I hope that just going through parts of Hebrews will kind of whet your appetite to to read the whole book. Read the whole book. It's it's just so rich in meaning. So rich. Thank you for being part of class. We will now go to our devotional time. I ask Brother Andrew to extend the Lord's uh, invitation for us.